growing epidemic in the male population and it, not may, it may not manifest in anorexia but exercise disorders um, are extremely prominent and because a lot of males, the pressure is not to be thin but it's to be muscular and, and lean and all of that, because they don't appear very sick and because they're often praised because of their appearance and everything, it's, they don't feel like the need to put their hand up for help and others don't identify, identify them as needing help. Since he was 15 years old, Jacob has lived with anorexia and an exercise addiction. In the 13 years since, he has been admitted to hospital six times, his body holding on for dear life. He's been admitted to inpatient care just as many times, a seemingly endless cycle of treatments leaving him feeling exhausted and hopeless. Mental illness can be a lonely road for men. But when it comes to eating disorders, it's even more isolating. While media can be dominated by stereotypes of young, wealthy, white women, statistics show Jacob is anything but alone. One in three Australians who experience an eating disorder are male. More than 50% of boys aged 12 to 18 express a desire to alter their body in some way, many feeling pressured to meet an ideal body shape that is lean and muscular. Meanwhile, masculine social norms push messages of regaining control and taking charge. But while the numbers are significant when it comes to Australian men and boys living with eating disorders, the stigma is even greater. Although he's willing to share his story, Jacob still can't bring himself to share his name. But he hopes by speaking up, he can empower other men to do the same. This is Jacob's story. So just to start off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you were born and raised? Yeah, so I, um, I grew up in Africa. It was a very, um, quite a unique upbringing. I, it was a great, um, I have so many great memories of the place and um, went to a private Christian school there. And um, then I was quite heavily involved in sport my whole um, upbringing and Towards the end of our stay there, um, the country became quite violent and dangerous and we actually experienced a lot of um, robberies ourselves and we were held at gunpoint. Um, there was a handful of uh, people who would came, in, come, came into our house with guns and they, because they were aware that my dad had foreign currency and um, had some money, you know, and we had a few valuable possession compared to a lot of other. Yeah, so they they came to the house with guns and they they threatened to shoot my sister and me and they, they choked her and they they pretty much um, held her while they were asking my dad to you know show show them where where the money was and where all our valuable possessions were. So they they locked the rest of the family in the bathroom and then they, they went out with my dad uh, holding a gun to his head and then they then loaded up our car and then they drove off in our car. With, so it was it was quite traumatic at the end. Um, that's when my parents decided it's probably best for us to move to Australia because it just wasn't, the country was really spiralling downhill and it was just not safe to be there anymore. So... Um, at about 13 years of age, I came back here. 
Um, and because my dad's originally from New South Wales. It was a really big adjustment for for me and my sister and both my sister and I had some, some form of um, post-traumatic stress after the event that had happened and because um, uh, it felt like the only home that I'd ever known was now taken away from me and I knew I couldn't go back because it wasn't the same place anymore. I, I suppose I just had high hopes of starting fresh in a new country, in a safe country. And I came straight into uh, a public high school and it was very, um, very difficult because I, I was quite severely bullied, I think for numerous reasons, because I was different. I was from a different country and I had an accent and I had different values. Yeah, I, it really hurt because I felt very rejected um, at a time when I was quite fragile. Throughout high school, I became very depressed, even to the point of suicidal. I just felt like my world was out of control. Yeah, when I was younger, my, my sport and my exercise were always a, a big part of my life and I was always outside and very active. So when I came here and I, I got really depressed, one of the, the most effective ways for me to deal with my depression was to, um, to start uh, exercising more and getting into running. And, um, but it didn't solve any social, the social issues that I had um, developed. Yeah, so I slowly also started wanting to control my food a bit more. Um, so that's where I suppose it all started with the, the eating disorder and after I lost, started losing a bit of weight, I started getting a few comments from some of the girls at school, and and that really um, reinforced the pattern of living that I had developed. And I, I just kept going, and it became almost addictive, you know, that I would, uh, and I became more restrictive with my food, and uh, my exercise uh, crept up more and more, and I just continued. How old were you, sorry, when this when it really started? So, so the first couple of years of high school was when I, it was more my depression and, and maybe it, it slowly started to develop into an eating disorder, maybe at 14. It wasn't until it was about 15 or 16 that my parents started noticing. They um, got me to go see a dietitian um, and a psychologist. So at that time I was, I was quite... I was a bit in denial and resistant to to the help that I was getting, especially from the dietitian, because um, I had done so much reading on nutrition myself, and I was a bit more open with the psychologist because I realised I was, you know, dealing with some emotional issues and depression and all of that, and that did help. And I probably would have spiralled backwards a lot quicker if it wasn't for the psychologist's help. That went on until I was still about that end of high school where I was, my eating disorder had, it, it was, it hadn't come to a point where it was physically very noticeable. What I was doing with my psychologist, she took me through a, a series of like self-help, like a work booklet. This work booklet pinpointed everything and, and I could identify with just about all of it. Um, and it, you know, it classed me under a, an, like an anorexia diagnosis.
from when you were first diagnosed, can you tell me about your journey from then until now? It got pretty bad towards the middle of high school. My, my parents didn't really know what to do because despite seeing a psychologist, things were not, not really improving much. And I started at one of the local gyms. It was really good in terms of giving me that sense of community that I didn't find in school. The people in the gym were very accepting and, and loving and they just you know, made me feel just like part of the community. Yeah, so it did strengthen my uh, my passion for exercise, but it I think it did also create a dependency. So um, I went through the end till the end of high school um, quite heavily involved with the gym. I actually did a bodybuilding competition in the teenage division. At the end of high school, I I graduated and took two years off before uni. You know, do my degree. Yeah, I wasn't fully like mentally recovered and even physically I wasn't exactly at a place where I was fully uh, recovered uh, and in the meantime I'd actually been my psychologist had organized for me to, to, to have a an inpatient admission my first inpatient admission uh, in Sydney in one of the private you know psychiatric hospitals that deals with eating disorders I had had two admissions there before I went to university in the in my gap years after high school and I managed to gain weight to a restored level in that time but what I felt that was really lacking was after each discharge I'd come out at a heavier place physically but mentally I I felt poorly prepared for the outside world especially with the exercise so each time I would leave I would spiral back again and it's something I've seen so so often now I've I've had about four or five admissions at, at the at this place now and after each admission it, it, it almost inevitably just leads back to me going back into old patterns so i went to uni and i thought well, i'm just going to have a new start so i moved to melbourne started a bachelor of science and try to get involved in a lot of different groups and activities like um, sporting groups like the table tennis club and gradually over the course of my degree i as I became more stressed with uni and, and whatnot, um, I ended up just spending more time in the, at the uni gym and kind of just withdrawing from all the other social and activity groups. I pretty much just became very isolated again, and just in my own little world. I had hardly any time for anything else other than study and the gym. I actually ended up doing two degrees. So I went to, I finished my first degree at Monash Uni and then I went to Deakin Uni after that, study exercise science. And throughout, throughout those times, I ended up in hospital like involuntarily because of physical complications like uh, kidney failure and uh, liver problems and passing out and nearly being very close to dying. I had the flu at the time as well and my immune system had pretty much shut down. So there was just a lot of things that was that were very concerning. So I, I ended up being in hospital about five or six times over those years. And then after uni, I came back to be with my parents and really just, just really tried to prioritize. I, I realized I couldn't, like I'd given it, I had given it a go and I, I really had proven to myself I can't really can't really function in life. Um, I was able to get really good grades at uni, but I wasn't, you know, 
I'd taken my point to the my body to the point of death um, or nearly dying several times. I just realised I need to do something for my health um, before I start a career and everything and tried to get my health back on track. It improved a little bit, you know, I was I I had been seeing a few um, online coaches from America and they really helped people who've actually been through an eating disorder themselves and come through the other side. Mm. Mentally, I, I may have improved a little bit, but um, I just felt really stuck and I also felt so afraid because I didn't want to go back into treatment because I knew it hasn't where it's left me each time. And I didn't want to just keep going through that vicious cycle. So I decided to maybe just try a new start again, just try and convince myself maybe changing environments this time will help. So I I decided that there was a job that came up in Shepparton and I, so I applied for the job um, and I was successful and it was actually exciting for me. I thought, oh, I'm going to try a new start in Shepparton. But despite still being having my coach and I was even seeing a dietitian and a psychologist in the area, it, look, I, was, I had made a little bit of progress, but I was still very stuck in um, what they term, uh, what they call quasi-recovery, where I'm trying to recover. I'm maybe going forward a little bit or stagnating, but I'm, I'm still quite a fair way away from where I need to be physically and still quite stuck in in a cycle of behaviours that are controlling me and my life. So I was out of work um, and the borders were shutting. So I I had to make a decision where I was going to be. So I I ended up having to leave. Like as soon as they announced the borders were closing, I decided to come back to live with my parents. New South Wales where it's a bit safer because I'd realised you know I'd tried so many times to start something new prematurely you know or before I'm at a place where I'm fully recovered and I just haven't proven that I can actually manage I suppose it's like a bird being pushed out of the nest too early I, I just uh, I realised I need to give it a shot and really really try to get myself fully recovered before I try anything like that again, before I before I'm ready to to really um, get into the real world and, and, and work full time, so I decided I may not agree with the treatment that there is available in a lot of ways, but I know it does help in some ways. So I, I realise I don't really have much up many other options. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm struggling to stay alive on the outside and I've just proven I can't do it, then my best option is to, to, to try maybe one last time. So I've, um, I have come to treatment again and once I'm at a weight restored place, I'll be able to make some more of those mental changes um, with the support of my team that I have in Shepparton, which is actually a very good supporting team. So. Yeah, so that's kind of my plan at the moment. Do you think it can be tough for men to open up about eating disorders? Oh, for sure, because as a man, it's often 
it's often um I think sometimes females can be not not the diagnosis itself, but just the fact that being skinny and being it's almost idealized by society for females, you know, so it it can be praised, but in men it's it's really seen as a weakness and a, like you really look down upon um, if you're skinny and like weak and and really thin. So that combined with the diagnosis of anorexia, which is almost at that time as well, it was pretty much unheard of in males, um, was really, it was embarrassing. It was people, you know, even still like, you know, most people don't understand. Um, and yeah, it is also quite, quite shameful. I think another thing as a male that I've also really found difficult is a lot of the re- most of the research that's been done on eating disorders in terms of what works best for treatment and that what the, the common symptoms are and a lot of the, like the physical changes that happen, most of the research has been done on females. So it's almost like, so, and also the treatment, um, is because the research has been done mainly on females, the treatment also catered mainly towards females. So small differences, for example, males generally have a, a much higher exercise component. I still do feel a little bit alienated, even in the world of eating disorder treatment. What's kept you going throughout this whole time? My family, that I, I know that they love me, and especially my parents. I can't imagine how it would be if they'd lost their son. Well, then, I mean, so many times, I, if it, look, if it was just up to me, I don't think I'd be here. And a little bit of hope that maybe there is still a future for me. I know there's a lot of potential for my life if I can get better. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, there's a lot that I can offer the world. Uh, I'm passionate about so many things, but I'm just not able to, without my help, I haven't been able to benefit from any of much of life in general. So it's still a little bit of hope that I can do it. Also, some of the things that I have met in treatment um, from my former admissions, seeing them fully recover and seeing them now living very happy lives, married or you know, in a great job, enjoying their life, having a good balance of life. So they've been really encouraging because it's real life proof that you know, it, can, it can work. As difficult as it is, you know, you can come through. And lastly, probably also my my faith. I I am a Christian. I, I do believe in all of this. But, you know, I think God has a plan for my life. And the fact that I, even several times, the doctors and so many people, the nurses, have even said they're amazed that I'm actually still alive with what had happened to me, you know, over the last six years. And I really think, you know, God wants me here for a reason. You know, and I, I don't, I'm not going to give up. So, yeah, I think, and when I do come through it, I'm going to be such a, a much stronger person. If you need support for an eating disorder, call the Butterfly Foundation support line on 1800 334 673 or contact Eating Disorders Victoria on 1300 550 236. 
For other crisis and counselling services, call Lifeline Australia on 131 114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or Kids Helpline on 1800 551 800.